Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking 1980s fade to black on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the seedy part of Hollywood Boulevard. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details of Fade to Black in the hopes that a young movie-obsessed villain's death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at his expense, and as always, there's only one person I trust that if I give her one pill, I can probably give her two or three more once we get on top of Man's Chinese Theater. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm good. I've got my little my little cowboy outfit, my my <laughs> my, my creepy baby man mask. Oh yeah, that's important if you want to look like an old timey cowboy. Which star. you are supposed to recognize as Hopalong Cassidy. Sure, <laughs> sure. I yes. I thought I thought some sort of weird combination of Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd, but you know, Hopalong <laughs> Cassidy, admittedly, for once, for once. Yeah. Before my time. <laughs> it looks like the baby man from Happy Death Day was dressed up as a cowboy. It's it's not, I, I won't say it's not a rendition of that silent star, or that, that old-timey cowboy star, but it um, I won't say it's the most accurate thing. It does disguise his identity, which at one point in this movie, he just decides, I'm through with that. I just, I want to look like me, and I want to murder some people. But uh, I don't want to scare you, Gina. We are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. He is America's premier Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows fan. And more importantly, he is the head of programming for uh, horror's best streaming destination, Shudder, the one, the only Sam Zimmerman. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm great, but I think you switched the significance of my titles. Clearly, preeminent Blair Witch 2 fan comes way before director of programming at Shutter, <laughs> in, in the eyes of prestige, the eyes of the world. Right. Well, it's yeah. especially when you're trying to do business and you're trying to put yourself out there as, as someone to take seriously here in Hollywood. The one thing that, that really lays the carpet out for people is Blair Witch 2 appreciation. Yeah, I think, you know, when I first started at Shutter, they, they said we need someone taste driven. <laughs> 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 saw my endless championing of book of shadows and said that <laughs> that's our man well you know every film has to have that premiere fan and listen gina and i we have our movies and if we laid them out sleepwalkers <laughs> sleepwalkers is way up there <laughs> Happy I get birthday it, Nick, to now... me is one of them for me like i'm the oh. i'm the only happy birthday to me fan Happy birthday to me is 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 very very strong. It is. It's fan. It is a fantastic picture. Is it twenty to twenty five minutes too long? Yes, absolutely. I enjoy all of them though. I am mad at you. And and I I recently kind of felt what it must be like to sort of have to raise your eyebrow at me because now that there is a uh, a seemingly Twitter wide reappraisal of Scream Four that I can't get on board with. I get it. Whisper, I might be one of those people. <laughs> um, 
when it gets to Scream 3, that's when I start jumping ship. But that's the thing. Everyone has their something. But what was wonderful was, uh, uh, was it just this last month, uh, you managed to get Fade to Black on Shudder. Yes. And this is a movie which has had a, a perilous uh, time getting to home video uh, because of all of the clips from various studios that it uses. So I, I'm not going to ask you all of your tricks and, and tradecraft, but how long did it take you to wrangle this deal? Not very. Um, really? I, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very funny. It's sort of an anticlimactic story, but I almost stumbled into it in a way, which was the rights holders who have cleared everything themselves. I am unsure if Fade to Black recently switched hands or found its way to a rights holder who was able to clear all this beforehand. Mm. But I was talking to them, honestly, about something else, about a movie that will be coming to Shudder later this year, or early next year. Um, certainly not a movie of such consequences, Fade to Black. And the, the folks there said, oh, hey, we also own Fade to Black, which may be of interest. And me understanding the cult that's built up around the film yeah. uh, and notoriously inaccessible quality of it. I I jumped on it and got very excited. Because for the longest time, it was only a movie I know from, knew from clips from uh, yes. Terror in the Isles. It wasn't something like I knew or I watched a whole bunch on home video. It just, it was a thing I heard, I knew of, but did not really know. Very similar. You know, I had seen it on VHS when I was younger because when I was in my teens, my best friend worked at a video store. But but I must we must have only had an old VHS of it because by that point, you know, DVD had already hit. We, he just happened to work in like a suburban video store that was kind of old school. Gina, was this the first time for you watching Fade to Black? You know, I it couldn't have been because there are certain aspects of it that I remembered watching, but I, mm -hmm. I couldn't have seen it since I was a kid. Uh, right. it, it probably did a you, know, a, you know, a brief run on cable. It would have been maybe it would have come out in nineteen eighty, so it would have been probably it would have made a kill eighty one or eighty two, and and that was when I was starting to get into my my phase of you know if it you know, was described as horror, I was going to watch it mm -hmm. uh, regardless of quality, and and there's definitely things that I remembered like certain like of course the the you know the pushing the wheelchair down the stairs thing yeah. and. and and the uh the, the kind of goofy and yet kind of creepy at the same time the vampire makeup actually more like from the half and half thing which now the, yeah. mm -hmm. the iconic image that that kind of stuck with me because I thought that was kind of vaguely unsettling which obviously <laughs> it was it was supposed to be so it did yeah. it, it did its job but yeah <laughs> I, I I thought that you know I must have seen this before I definitely recall it from some sort of cable like it came on Monster Vision at some point or USA up all night. But for whatever reason, I never caught it on a VHS or DVD, despite my long time in video stores. Again, Terror in the Isles was the thing I knew it from. So this was a, a, a wonderful revelation like, oh, I'm actually going to get my eyes on this thing. And so it was a really interesting surprise to find out what the movie actually is. Let's start at the beginning, and that is with the Fantastic Production logo. It is a lost art. This is a fantastic triangle, which zooms at the camera <laughs> hypnotically, and I loved every moment of it. <laughs> and we are introduced to young... Eric Binford, and he has a singular ability. And I don't know if either of you have this, but I will admit that I've tried it and failed, and that is sleeping with a hat on. 
that's not something I can do. I, I don't know that I have deliberately tried to sleep with a hat on. I mean, I'm sure I've fallen asleep while wearing a hat, but <laughs> right. not not on purpose or anything. <laughs> no. I've certainly and, fallen asleep with a hat on, but it seems interesting because he, he seems like he doesn't drink, which is the only context with within I've fallen asleep with a hat on. He doesn't, dr- he doesn't drink, and yet he seems to be actively dying of something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he seems to be dying of film poisoning? Or... And, like, consumption, and yeah. possibly emphysema. He's coughing, he can barely stand up straight. He's a pallid young man. <laughs> I mean, when your breakfast is cigarettes and Dr. Pepper, you're not having the breakfast of champions it's you're not even on little chocolate donuts breakfast of champions here <laughs> it is it is dire his health at the beginning of this motion picture he's kind of gray see, yeah he's got bags under his eyes and he also establishes a uniform here which he will play out whenever he's within his home and that is a a coat a shirt occasionally a scarf or tie and boxer shorts. That's it. <laughs> it's like he's it's like he's preparing for a Zoom meeting in 1980. Yeah, he's business up top and business down below. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's, I th- I think we need to discuss um, Eric Binford in a more deep way than perhaps the film presents in this. Because there's there's a thing going on in this movie that it, of the time it was made. And now the implications that are drawn out. So let's start with at the time it was made. All slashers have a kind of conservative vein going through them, right? There's there's a revenge aspect or people are paying for the things that they've done. You know, there's a death curse. You know, something started and they they didn't take care of it. And now the young people are taking the brunt of it. It's real nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Here, we have not only the general across-the-board conservative ideas here, but we have two others. One is with Eric Benford in that he's consuming movies and partially horror movies. Therefore, he's sick in the head. (laughs) While at the same time presenting a cop character or not cop character, a social worker character who happens to work near cops and do bumps of cocaine. And he is this like Alan Alda liberal somehow (laughs) that they're painted as a a goof that happens to be right. But man, he can't get anything done. Yeah. It's it's, uh, that's, I I really, I really like this movie, but, but that's the whole thing with Tim Thompson's character is just so, from another movie yeah. that 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 it, I'm not even sure they don't even seem to coexist together. They're not even on the same. They're not even on the same screen together until the end. And by that point, Eric is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't even interact with each other at any point. Uh, the closest they get to one another is a shot in the shin, which he seems to take rather well. Oh right, right, right. That that's yeah. true. Yeah, they did. I forgot they they briefly interact. I mean, uh, Sam, what's your relationship to uh, genre legend Tim Thomerson? Oh, you, I mean, big fan, you know, transverse fan, number one. Uh, sure. But I I like, yes, 100% in another movie, but I like him in this other movie. I think, like, the, the Tim Thomerson sh- strain of Fade to Black is largely enjoyable. And I think, well, I guess let me ask you to a question first. Sure. Do you think this is wholesale a slasher? I think it's, no. no. <laughs> 
Neither I do I. Uh, I think it's, it's I think it's a uh, probably psychological horror, which is interesting because I feel like we're going to categorize it. It's been called a slasher for a long time, and I think there are a lot of movies that try to say like, "I'm not a slasher, I'm a psychological horror." But in this case, the pa- like to me, it's about the pace and the tone of the movie that would delineate that, and this totally just does not have a. I mean, the tight runtime of what a slasher is. The movie kind of takes its time. Even though Tim Thomerson's presented as kind of a goof, I don't think the movie whole like completely dismisses his ideas. And I don't think the movie totally believes because Eric watches movies, he's like this. Like, I think it has at least some some understanding or some nuance in the fact that he's like suffered some sort of like childhood, horrible upbringing and has created a fantasy world attaching himself to movies rather than really enjoying movies or believing that you know, movies are telling him to do this or something like right. that. Well, he's also not not an unstoppable killing machine. <laughs> yes, and, and but. at least to a, at least to a certain at least to a certain point, he does seem to have some level of I wouldn't call it remorse, but but he seems to be aware that what he is doing is wrong, and then eventually you know makes a decision that he's just not going to give a shit about that right. anymore. I mean, he he cracks like there's after after Gina's favorite scene. And really, any movie, Gina's favorite scene is when a, a wheelchair goes downstairs. She just, <laughs> she loves it. Preferably on fire, but I'll take what I can get. Gina. Yes. Have you ever seen Eye of the Cat? I don't think I have. Do I need to? Does yes. that involve a wheelchair? A it, wheelchair death? It's like a late yes. 60s British thriller. Down. Well, the wheelchair doesn't go down steps, but it does go down a very large hill. Uh, even oh. better. <laughs> so you got so you got like a Mac and Me thing going on there, yeah. right? Amazing. <laughs> oh, Sam, watch this, this is as great. soon as we finish here. You've opened you've opened a vein for Gina, and this is <laughs> oh, Eye of the Cat is deranged, like just this deranged, you know, not dissimilar in the sense of like a weird relationship between a young man and a reclusive aunt, but there's mm. way much more money involved. Uh, a wheelchair down a hill. And then an extremely intense fight between two women over this young man in the bathroom of a 1960s nightclub. It's a, v- a very good movie. I, I'm into it. This all sounds... Sold American. Yeah. <laughs> top of the tops. As far as like Benford's uh, psychology is concerned, it's a mix. But there's there's this vein across the top of it where I think the goal is to have that empathetic underpinning to it, but on top, but it's, it's presented bluntly and, and multiple people are like, Oh, you're buried in movies. It's so weird. You're so gross. <laughs> and Well, I mean, to be fair, yes, he is, to gross. Be fair, he is a <laughs> creep. Like, like, I don't want to say people deserve to be bullied, but he absolutely deserves to be bullied. It's a weird psychological condition this kid has. Where, and you see this all the time, unfortunately. Where he has all of this self-importance, and but he is a constant fuck-up. So he doesn't have the leg to stand on for confidence. And it really rubs everyone he meets wrong. Like he does not make a single good impression in the entire movie. Except inexplicably on, on, on Marilyn, the Marilyn Monroe impersonator, who just, you know, immediately finds him incredibly fascinating for 
for reasons I cannot begin to understand. Because I think she's living in her own fantasy world. Uh, did we mention she's Australian? It's the only accent I can do, Sam. <laughs> I have to do it every single time. I think she's like living in her sim- like she has her own fantasy world and honestly tim thomerson does too like the way he transforms his little like garbage office in the basement of this police station completely ignoring <laughs> the reality of this police station everyone who hates him yeah i there are these strains running throughout of people like creating their own ecosystems and that's why i think Marilyn's drawn to him like she is similarly in her own head not only about movies but about her own self-importance about wanting to be an actress. I think she sees a similar type, even though he is clearly much more dangerous. He cannot talk to human beings. I think we see this a lot more now where people are even more disconnected from a real world interaction. Well, he's a, he's a human trivia machine. Like he, he doesn't know how to talk to people as himself. So he either starts hitting you with trivia or he starts impersonating badly <laughs> character, you know old old tiny movie characters that nobody really has even thought about even you know when this movie was made they hadn't thought about it you know james cagney and white heat in like 30 years yeah. well this hit a weird strain that we saw very early in the show when we were looking at friday the 13th movies where the first two or three had old-timey movie impressions where they would just break out an old time a movie impression all of a sudden. <laughs> You're like, where did this come from? But but I, this is all he does because he does he is blessedly free of a personality. <laughs> and that's does it not you, come from that era of the the batches of movies that were licensed to television and then also first released on home video? I I assume I don't even I don't even know if he I didn't even see that he had a VCR. I just saw the studio just watched everything because he never sleeps. And just watches, you know, late night old old movies. Yeah. Uh, but he does say at one point he crosses something and says, I got to tape that one. But we never see an actual VCR. And the TV <laughs> that he has is um, some sort of CB unit. It's like something you would carry into a fire. It, uh, it's a solid <laughs> state, 15 inches high and 12 inches deep. It's crazy that TV. And and he and he does have he does he does have a projector which uh, which Aunt Mom <laughs> accidentally knocks on accidentally on purpose knocks down which kind of kind of causes him to snap. Fair. Let's discuss Aunt Mom Stella. <laughs> um, Aunt Mom Stella. I mean, this is one of those roles that it's kind of an offshoot of that hag exploitation thing. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's definitely doing a, uh, a, a Betty Davis and baby yeah. Jane. Definitely. She won a, a, she won an award for that, for that. The, the actor that she won like a Saturn award. Oh. Like a lot of the characters in this movie, deeply unpleasant. <laughs> Let's talk about her backstory. She is a woman who at one point was in a dance duo with her sister And what she tells us and what we learn she has told Eric is that uh, Eric's mom and her sister died in childbirth and that required the team to break up. And then four years into Eric's life, uh, a babysitter called her home from a party and she got into an accident and lost the use of her legs. Something she blames Eric for constantly. And on top of that, she likes back rubs from him yes 
Does she like back rubs or does she like back rubs? Because <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit of a you know, ew kind of cat in their in their, in their interactions oh, with each other. Hundred percent, deeply unpleasant. That's probably the most unpleasant part of Ant Mom. That is her award-winning moment. Let's let's just put it out there because when she says, "I'll be expecting my back rub," the scene takes a dour turn, and Eric begins to have a thousand-yard stare of uh, terrified regret and remorse. It is haunting. <laughs> and I say that for a movie that is deeply goofy. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare combination of both of those elements. It's, in, in a way, like, if you did a double feature of this and Martin, I don't think you'd be wrong. They're about no, haunted I... dudes who are obsessed with something they can't become and they're like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to become it. Oh, no. I, I mean, this movie that I'm about to talk about is directly influenced by Martin, but I had a similar thought about the transfiguration uh, yes. when he is in his sort of Dracula getup and just the the ambition of I'm doing this. So it's, you know, it's going to manifest. And is there's a goofy, the goofiness and the unsettling nature of this movie. I think they they bolster each other rather than cancel each other out. Uh, I quite like it. There's a lot to like, um, but I, I. It also has some. It the the tones are are wild, and you're either in for the ride or you might get bucked off. But it you can't say what the the movie isn't trying. The movie is trying, and all, almost everyone in the movie is dedicated to performing what they've been asked to do. I'm going to, I'm going to say something I said about this on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a, I I don't imagine there's any direct influence, but there are certain aspects of this that remind me a lot of Joker in that, in that except that Joker was, you know, not funny and not, and not, and, and, you know, not as weird as it should have been. And and also kind of assumed its its audience were a bunch of morons who had no no eye for nuance. Right. So you have this you have Eric who is very put upon. You know he I don't he I guess he's supposed to be in his twenties, but he kind of sort of cowers around people like he's like someone half his age. But he's also he's irritating. Mm-hmm. And and again he doesn't have a personality. He gets very you know, offended. If you don't understand certain references to movies he's making that are you know twice as old as he is, but then you have like you have Arthur, the character in Joker, who is always a victim. He, everything that happens to him is done to him, mm-hmm. and so you know naturally you know when he does have his break, you know this is society's fault. Whereas in Fade to Black is yeah well you know this weirdo had this weirdo had a break sometime. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and you feel you know you kind of feel for him, but at the same time, you, you really don't want him near you either. It is a. I will say this straight up, that this is a dedicated performance by Dennis Christopher. Like he he is going into this with this the mindset of this is my taxi driver. Like I'm going to be this. You know whether that comes off as unpleasant or not is in service of the film. And so if occasionally I come across like a cartoon weasel from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that's okay, too. (laughs) And so he is going for it. There's nothing glamorous about this. 
with the exception of when he actually glams himself up. When he transforms into Dracula, like, that is disturbing. It is creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's like he goes into character. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, before we get in, into some of the the later beats of the movie, I, I think it would be it would be a disservice if we don't talk about the second half of this film, and that is is Tim Thomerson's. I I don't know when you appear on camera in a blush yellow blazer, it's you're <laughs> relying a lot on your inherent handsomeness. Oh, he's vibing. Tim Thomerson has a chin that can cut glass. Like the dude is good looking. And they go out of their way to find the weirdest presentation for him possible. He has a very weird sequence in his office in which he does a bump of cocaine and does some sort of harmonica routine. I'm sure (laughs) that this killed with the chuckle hut or wherever he was doing stand-up comedy before this. But it's out of nowhere, but also entirely committed. Yeah, I... you had to wonder if his character is written like this or if he decided this is how I'm going to play this character. <laughs> I feel it's a bit of the latter. Whatever whatever the reasoning was, it's great. I would so much rather have that than, than just some dude, just some, yes. some guy kind of hanging out. Like, even his aside, you know, <laughs> his sort of, like, throwaway, uh, I never fucked a cop before is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this comes after we see them, we see them flirt at the police station. Again, the sexual harassment sort of regulations here non-existent at the time. So they, he and lady cop go back to his place. We just see them tussling under the sheets. And when they emerge, um, (laughs) she's half clothed. He's semi clothed, but he's also clutching a box of Ritz crackers (laughs) and a remote control. Well, we don't know what the remote goes to. I, <laughs> do we, Gina? <laughs> I don't. Because if you involve crackers in your fucking... I, I don't know if the crackers and the remote go together. I'm saying that the, <laughs> the remote might operate something we can't see. I, I, I 100% agree with that. Re- the remote is definitely operating something we can't see. But that doesn't explain how Ritz crackers are involved... In his love making, Gina. Well, you need a snack. In the middle of it? Sometimes. Oh my god. You have to stay hydrated. You have to, you know, stay focused. This is the opposite of the problem we saw with people having sex in the shower. Sex in the shower is too dry. Is it possible <laughs> that Ritz and sex is too wet? I don't know. <laughs> If you put those things together, does it create nuclear fission? Possibly. Scientists, hit me up. Let's talk about Eric's job. Eric works at some sort of film distribution company. They they run prints all over town. With a, with a, with a, with a, with a boss who, like Eric, is actively dying. <laughs> and trying to die. It, it feels like every line he has is a call for the specter of death to land upon him. I mean, I get it. (laughs) 2020, baby, come on. I am no expert when it comes to film preservation, but I do feel that I haven't seen floors this wet since the whole Jason X Crystal Lake lab facility that for some reason had all wet floors. This is the wettest an interior I think we've seen on the pro- on the podcast. <laughs> it's very moist in there and it's filled with cobwebs. People work there. It's 
that was an incredible touch. The the sort of no one no one grabs the cobwebs from the corners of all door frames. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people hardly ever pass through door frames, so it's completely understandable. I, I also like this character because at one point he tells the night watchman that he has to wear a bell. And yes. you would think you would think that's because he wants to hear him and not be surprised, but it also could be sexual. We don't know, and we're never told. <laughs> He's a very handsome night watchman. He, listen, he cuts quite a figure. <laughs> His name is Mr. Burger. And he sounds it. And he looks it. And he's about to have a heart attack at all times. I don't know what he's taking out of that pill bottle, but it's not helping. Nearly pure, pure nicotine. Yeah. <laughs> what pills are anyone taking in this movie? I don't. Yes. This movie has a real weird relationship with pills. They're somehow magical. They can do whatever you want and you don't know what they are and you just take as many as you wish. And if someone gives you one, just start taking as many as they hand you, no matter how many people you've seen them shoot. Yeah, just get into it. Uh, who else works at the uh, at this, uh, this movie company? It is the one, the only Mickey Rourke. And if you want to see Mickey Rourke at his insanely hottest, it might be this movie. Like he is good looking in this. Gina. I'm still gonna say I'm still gonna say nine and a half weeks. Really, the... I feel he's too grizzled in nine and a half weeks. You don't yeah, you don't feel like yeah, it I comes mean, off like a, like a tuna sandwich that's been out of the refrigerator too long in nine and a half. Well, weeks? not yet. I, not not by nine and a half weeks. That took a couple of years to happen. But, but like I feel you. I feel you on nine and a half weeks. But his whole fit when they go to the carnival in this movie, and he's got. <laughs> Like the great cam collar, Aloha shirt, mm-hmm. great boots. That is, that's the moment. That's when I was like, mm-hmm. that's Mickey Rourke. I mean, he, he wears like a, a, a sleeveless top, like a tank at the beginning of this. And you're like, oh man, that, that dude's got it going on. Like he pops off. Like I, I can see why he came, became a movie star because he is really dreamy. He's got a huge head of hair. Like, it's really going on, baby. And he's got fantastic eyes. He hangs out with his pal, who is apparently driving Hanna-Barbera's speed buggy as his own personal vehicle. (laughs) Excellent cars in this film. (laughs) Does anyone drive a normal car in this entire motion picture? The lady cop is driving around in her own personal cop car. Yeah. Again, everyone's everyone's in their own reality. Everyone's in their own little fantasy. Great. Now let's talk about Marilyn. Marilyn is played by Lee, uh, Linda Carriage. Carriage? Carriage. 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 The only other thing I really know her for from is Alien from L.A., in which uh, everyone who's underground in that movie is from Australia. And uh, here she's a young actress in Los Angeles. She's capitalizing on the fact that she looks like Marilyn Monroe. She takes showers in full makeup. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you don't? Yes, I do. Um, I The thing is, I have makeup not just on my face, but because I podcast the nude, I bronze everywhere. So... The shower is generally orange by the time I'm done, but I think it's worth it, and the the listeners agree. And yet, somehow, we're not a video. Podcast. Somehow, well, you know, one day when that technology comes along, maybe we can take advantage of it, Gina. But until it's when then, the kill by the, kill only fans launches. That's right. <laughs> 
forget that jiggly calendar idea we got. Now we've got OnlyFans. Gina, all right. Maybe we need to start thinking about this as a real business plan. Thank God you came on the show, <laughs> Just, Sam. You, you've 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 not only brought us great recommendations for wheelchair deaths, but now a business plan. <laughs> Significant presence. <laughs> She uh, has a sort of free-floating relationship with reality. Um, she will accept anyone's request for a date, even if she has two in one night. And the date she ends up on is with Peter Horton from 30-something, who is also a creep, just a more attractive one. When she informs him, oh my goodness, I forgot I had a different date on the same night, he responds, what's the matter don't you like men? If you got two dates at one night, I'm pretty sure you like men. That, you like men a like, lot. You've double booked on men. That's pretty much an endorsement of your man liking. But uh, she has to make it all the way across town uh, over to Venice where we see the Skips uh, coffee shop. The architecture at Skips is top notch. It is pure 50s and I love everything about it. Unfortunately, we don't get to see the inside. Um, but this is the the sort of inciting incident that be that the cracks that Eric has in his personality begin to widen, and so by the time he gets home, well, I don't think that uh, that back rub is going to happen. In fact, he gets it in his head that while uh, while watching a movie, that perhaps if Richard Whitmark uh, shoves a, a lady down the stairs in a uh, in a wheelchair, perhaps he should as well. The question I have for the both of you is, is this a wheelchair manufacturer death or is Eric operating it with his mind? <laughs> I, I think it's just, you know, bad timing and probably uh, Aunt Mom is too cheap to, to replace the, uh, the, the motor on her wheelchair. <laughs> It, it just decides to only go forward and then suddenly jut to the, the left so that it can go down the stairs. She just like pops a wheelie and goes flying down the stairs. She, she like blows out smoke out the bass. She Tokyo, she Tokyo drifted. <laughs> it really does have a Tokyo drift. You know, she pops the clutch. Uh, she hits the nitro and off she goes down the stairs and... She's got that. She's got that bumper sticker on the back. Ask us and grass. I mean, she really should have thought when she had flames painted on the side of the wheelchair how that was going to end up for her. But okay, you know, most wheelchairs don't need a decorative spoiler, but you know, <laughs> don't need their own fuzzy dice. <laughs> if I had a wheelchair, I would have just fuzzy dice hanging off of every part. Uh, I almost feel like um, she has a boogie van rather than a wheelchair. <laughs> we love a good boogie van. Um, perhaps the best boogie van, of course, from prom night. That's a yes. great boogie van. And so she takes a tumble down the stairs and Eric um, disintegrates. And he has a scene in which he sees himself through two different mirrors, which, you know, obviously there's a, real him and he distorted him and you're like hey i like this this is great and then he backs up against the wall and attempts to throw up on his boxer shorts unsuccessfully <laughs> and i feel like if you had just left it at the mirror part that would have been tops but i 
I don't know that we needed him failing to throw up. So much more troubled by dry heaving than I am actual vomit. So it's <laughs> one of those really chilling aspects of the movie for me. There you go. See, it takes all types. I was going to say that he goes to uh, Aunt Mom's funeral dressed like that episode of Tom and Jerry where Tom makes his boot suit out of a, out of a hammock. <laughs> that is a great A reference, Gina. I, You know what? I thought I... I only, only the precious. <laughs> again, our youngest viewers, please listen with Wikipedia open at all times. Google is your friend, but I promise you Gina is right about this. I thought I had the cartoon reference of the episode with Speed Buggy. I stand down. Um, if you read our reviews, it's the only thing I'm good for. <laughs> oh, that's not true, Gina. We were better before we had guests. Hi, Sam. So, uh, <laughs> we now cut to uh, the people who attend the funeral are Eric in his cartoon Zoot Suit, uh, a priest... And a lot of guys who are cold with shovels. That priest is fantastic, too. Just <laughs> like a real asshole of a clergyman. <laughs> Rolling into his limo, dismissing everything Eric is saying. It's great. Yeah. I, I also love that he comes like, you know, you can come to me for anything. And the camera dips down and his purse is open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He's great. And he doesn't blink at all when he goes like, oh, I'm going to give I'm going to give the memorial. You'll you know, I'll, of course, I'll see you there. And he's like, I don't believe in God. And he doesn't really blink. He's just kind of like, neither do I, kid. But it's a living. Just as just, just all the check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, the priest also refers to her as giving to a fault. And I'm I'm not I don't think he was on the back rub schedule. So. We don't know that for sure. Um, this is when Eric dresses up as, as Dracula. He goes to the movies. We see uh, Night of the Living Dead because there's no copyright on it. And he then goes to visit Marilyn. Somehow has the ability to get inside her house, which... Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, Again, you know, movie, okay. But also, she doesn't lock a door. I mean, uh, okay. Anyways, she's taking a shower drunk full makeup as you do and we have a a a sort of psycho i won't even say sort of it's a psycho homage uh only eric's dressed as dracula and instead of a knife he has a fountain pen which leaks ink (laughs) into the tub drain there's a ton of hitch kind of like running through this movie too like you know the the second this sort of domineering you know evil mother figure enters the frame like a door closes you see a frenzy poster mm. uh it, this whole thing is kind of hitting those hitch notes i really i i really like that sequence and and you know the night of the living dead thing is funny because we've all gotten so used to night of the living dead being public domain and just showing up when anyone needs to have something on the tv but i do appreciate that in this there's some level of interaction you know he's he's watching communicating with the movie watching the bite yeah. ultimately follows through with his own bite later on. It, it, I appreciate that much more than when it's just kind of on the TV in the background of the scene because they wanted a horror movie on the background in the scene. And it's fun to see people in a small space uh, watching a movie together, uh, something akin to science fiction now. So yeah, we'll never have it again. Nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he, he wanders away saying, I only wanted an autograph. Somehow 
this is not reported to police. This is just an incident which she forgets. It's never mentioned again. Anyways, we cut to uh, a, a a lady of the night that Eric had met previous. She, he chases her, flapping his cape like that lady stripper in Veronica. <laughs> and um, she uh, falls forward because she's she doesn't have a good sprint. And part of it is, of course, she's wearing very high heels. But she's also kind of sidestepping a lot of the time. We see her feet a lot. And she falls into a fence, uh, puncturing her, her neck with the top of a white picket fence. And this is where, where Eric decides to sample some blood because no one's watching in Venice, a very unpopulated area of Los Angeles, I suppose. Uh, and where you get the big time Martin vibes. I mean, it's big. Yeah, I think it would have been funny if he, if he kind of like, you know, chases her, her blood and then he was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is gross. But tick, 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 tick. <laughs> so at this point, Eric is 0 and 2 on murder, like direct cause murder. Like he was near his, his aunt mom dying and now he's near this lady dying. But he is batting a thousand on causing women to die ineffectively while pursuing them. So he's building up to it, baby. He's almost there. Later, we see that Eric is back at his uh, job. And uh, when his pals that he's made uh, a bet with uh, Welch on it, he then begins yelling trivia at them, uh, as Gina referred to earlier. And this is where he breaks out something that Listen, we've all felt that thing where something happened in the moment and you wish you had that one thing in your back pocket that you could say that would really, you know, get under someone's skin. Like, I bet you don't know what Hitler's favorite movie was. (laughs) It is one of the greatest zingers of all time. I was reading. So after I watched the film today, I was just like going back and reading some like classic reviews of it. And there's something that Roger Ebert wrote that I loved, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I sometimes think movie trivia is an avoidance of movie art. And then he goes on about like dudes who just like throw trivia out and he says, uh, they deprive you of solitude without providing you with companionship. And I yeah. feel like that's this whole, this whole movie is just like socially isolated Eric Binford sh- screaming trivial facts at people. It's a little, this is where we get to the second half of it, where it has particular resonance now, because this feels like a little bit of, oh, I'm sorry to say it, hashtag film Twitter. It has that reactionary, gatekeepy, I know these things, therefore I own these things, therefore I am this. Oh, yes. Oh, totally. It's incredibly incredibly pressing in that regard like like eric binford would be constantly posting those those uh, what kind of movie opinion would get you this like a picture of somebody with a you know, gun to their head and it's like which is the most you know it always ends up being the most boring shit like i don't like marvel movies or you know it's just the most banal things that people treat as some sort of you know sacrosanct opinion that that offends so many people's sensibilities yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think you're wrong because I think all of his aloofness comes from things he thinks and says by himself. But when he's actually with other people, he can't really hack it. And, you know, I, I don't, not to read too much into this, but you brought up an interesting point. Like, I don't think he directly 
kills any women in this movie, but he does directly kill men. And I think that's like an interesting thing to look at in, in relation to like, he can't really interact with women. One wonders if there isn't, um, there's certainly the sort of incel reading into this, which mm-hmm. is right there on the surface. You could also propose a queer viewing of it that there is an element of him that is more drawn to men but can't allow himself to actually be that way because it isn't anything that he has seen in the media that he worships. And so he forces himself into wanting a relationship with someone he can't ever have, Marilyn Monroe. Mm. And, you know, I pick your poison because they're both poisonous. <laughs> Uh, in, in in various ways, especially for him, and that's how. But we see it all the time now. I agree. I mean, like, yeah, whether it's this sort of like internalized homophobia or self hatred or internalized misogyny, because like he has this angry masturbation scene, which is just <laughs> like in a movie with a varies in tone wildly. Uh, one of the creepiest parts. Yeah, if you had watched someone masturbate to a poster of Marilyn Monroe while wearing an overcoat at home on your bingo card, please seek help. It is <laughs> really wild. When he starts reaching underneath his boxer shorts, I backed up to the point where I think I was trying to phase through a wall. It was not pleasant. And I think the point of the sequence... Yeah, I mean, you're not like, supposed to stick it sexy. Right? <laughs> and if you do, listen, it takes all types. Also, sign up for our OnlyFans. I think we got something for you. <laughs> Where I recreate this only with a, a poster of Kurt Russell from The Computer Wears Tennis Shoes. <laughs> I think people are really going to like it. In around this time is when he dresses up as a cowboy with a baby face and ends up killing Mickey Rourke. I guess he did all this without fingerprints, or maybe this is the beginning of the end. At least he's disguised for this, and he is now one for three for actual murder. So he's showing progress. I I, I can't quite figure out about that scene. Like Again, I, I know who... Hopalong Cassidy as a character. I don't think I've ever seen anything involving Hopalong Cassidy. Is walking like he has like the worst case of hemorrhoids part of that character? Again, it feels more like a cartoon representation of a cowboy. It does feel like something Daffy Duck would do. Yeah, it feels like very like a like an impression of like old old timey cowboy cinema. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure why why Mickey Rourke just stands there like, hey, who is that? Hey. I don't know. Hey, what are you doing? Hey. hey. <laughs> it reminds me of that of, of Brian Wimmer in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 when he starts going, hey, Freddy, hey, listen, everyone calm down. We can talk this out. Dream <laughs> demon who can cause fire at will. I think we can work this out if we chat man to man. And he ends up uh, with a face full of barbecue. And right here, Mickey Rourke ends up with a belly full of lead. Uh, and of course, the APB goes out for a white male, five foot eight, baby face, Spurs. Elmer Fudd. <laughs> At one point, the cop who's always on Tim Thomerson's case yells, Well, fuck the mind. I just like that line. <laughs> and then uh, later, uh, we get to see that night. We pretty much get, 
uh, sold the show on on Mr. Burger's death. <laughs> Uh, but at this point, Eric is dressed up as a mummy with a flashlight. The classic universal monster, mummy with flashlight. Of course, you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, sure. It was in The Mummies too. It's dark in the pyramids. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> and you only got one hand, so you better hold on to that flashlight. Uh, and I guess because he is told that Mr. Berger has a, has a heart condition, he's trying to frighten him to death. One would think that the coming from behind and grabbing him by the throat would have done the trick, but it turns out not so much. Mr. Berger makes it all the way to the fire exit, grabs an axe, starts beating down the door, which, again, a fire exit, you lock Mr. Berger. This is a business, please. Uh, But he raises the axe to defend himself, but unfortunately, his heart can't take it. And so now Eric is one for four on murder but he's very good at causing accidental death so all of the scenes all of the sequences of sort of murder or incidental death uh i think there's a lot to love there about how vernon zimmerman directs this and like takes on the style of each genre or each movie fantasy eric benford's having the the mummy sort of warehouse sequence is absolutely delightful, especially when the hand comes through the Halloween poster Mm -hmm. and it's sort of this meeting of classic monster and like new school slasher cinema, especially because his arm reaches through a Halloween poster. And, and you know, you see that in the Dracula stuff with, with the high shadows, the Hopalong Cassidy stuff. So I, I find a lot of the sequences of him dressing up and going for people absolutely delightful in terms of style. This is part of the fantasy and we're almost viewing it through Eric's lens of how he wants yes. everyone to experience it. And I think that really does come across. I mean, we make fun of everything, but it is quite delightful. I even like his shuffle. I like his hand being bandaged. I'm a big fan of those forties uh, mummy sequels. I think they are far superior to the original mummy. And uh, this very much has that vein. But uh, now that his boss is dead, he's truly free to live his own life. And that includes hitching a ride with a Hollywood producer who turns around and steals his movie pitch in Hollywood. This is fantasy. There might as well be flying cars. Because his movie idea, it sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's got a good title. What was it again? Alabama, Alabama and the 40, and the 40 Thieves. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get the right cast together. I mean, he doesn't have a plot, but he does have a title. And it turns out that that sort of actor turned producer named Gary Bialy. Uh, <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a name. Uh, it decides to just like take it and run and goes on television and then just says like, yeah, my, this is my next product. Uh, this is the title of it. I mean, he's not being shy. He doesn't think he'll ever be caught. And of course, Eric knowing uh, everything calls the, the studio where he's filming this TV interview directly. And it's like, Hey, we're making this movie together. I think we should talk about it. He's like, Oh no, I don't know. I don't know who you were. And then we cut to this scene in a, uh, in a hairdresser studio in Burbank where Gary Bialy is receiving gifts from hairdressers. And I'm not, I'm not really sure. Maybe he's a really good, maybe he's a really good tipper. <laughs> Very well may be true. Uh, he gets Gucci shoes that are a size too small, but he'll work on it. 
his words. He can exchange him. <laughs> yeah. And now Eric is, I guess in the, the death of his, his aunt mom has come into a lot of cash. So he's bought himself a classic car and a working Tommy gun. He's doing it and he's abandoned really, you know, disguising his face in any way. He bursts into the hairdressers and uh, he just ends up shooting him just dead. And somehow he's able to get away. But I guess this is where the cops figure out that it's Eric because they land upon the aunt mom's house lickety split. Yes. At 99 River Street. Yes. One of my favorite touches of the movie. I mean, he is really good at props is the thing. The takeaway for me here is that this kid has skills, but he's poured himself into a facet of the industry that he can't use any of them. And so therefore he's never going to find fulfillment. If he had only gone into set dressing, if he had only gone into prop work, he might be working. He might be fulfilled, but Nope. He chose film distribution, and now we have a killer on our hands. That's right, kids. Don't go into film distribution. Sam, tell us all about uh, how you put films on Shutter. This is a real cautionary tale, I would say, and I'm days away from Eric Binfriding myself. I, I'm not saying you're guilty. I'm just saying a lot of this lines up. This is the first time I've accused one of our guests of murder, and I've waited until now. <laughs> Had to happen some point. <laughs> or at least, if not murder, then you're very close to dead bodies. Like, you, it just happens yeah, to happen. A lot of incidental death. Yeah, that's right. Just follow people until they fall into something. <laughs> I mean, if you follow someone, eventually that person's going to end up dying. It doesn't mean it's your fault. Like, you know, shit happens. On a long enough timeline, absolutely. Um, but this is... Not inevitability. <laughs> uh, at this point, the cops know that Eric is 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 our killer and they're on the hunt. And Tim Thomerson's like, no, we can still save him. Which, listen, arrest him and then talk to him. But at this point, like, you can't go, he's innocent. That's also not a thing Tim Thomerson can claim. Like, I, I love his ideals and everything, but oh boy, he, he, I get the reason why all of the cops, with the exception of the one he's sleeping with, kind of think he's a dick. Um, but at this point, except, uh, except that SWAT guy who really jumps the gun, <laughs> I, he's like playing. Just like, just like, I mean, he... I came to shoot something, and I'm going to shoot it, damn it. Listen, I brought this gun here. What is the point of having it unless I use it arbitrarily? Again, cops shooting people without... <laughs> it's practically science fiction. Uh, the fact that the person who shoots <laughs> is white. Anyways, um, we, we get to see some fun stuff on Hollywood Boulevard. Of course, this year we got to see a couple different views of Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, Gina, we got to see it in 10 to midnight, which uh, at one point Charles Bronson is foiled by a bus. <laughs> and then, But this is where uh, Eric decides he's going to do the white heat denouement. He's going to go to Char he's going to go to man's Chinese theater. And climb to the top of it, all the while feeding the Marilyn Monroe impersonator pills, one after the other. Which she takes, just because. Because it's fun. It's fun to take pills. 
He's given her. He's he's somehow managing to control the dosages enough that she can. She doesn't know where she's going and doesn't try to protest, but she can still walk somehow. Yes, it's a lot of stumbling. She's good at stumbling, to be honest with you. Her hair's starting to fall out. Meanwhile, Eric is dressed in jod hoppers, which is not something you see a lot of killers don. But he really carries it well. This might be his best outfit, jod hoppers. <laughs> Which is saying something. It really, is. I have a specific note about well, two things: the gear in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, even his like overalls, leather jacket look, love it. <laughs> but more killers or slashers in horror movies uh, need costume changes. <laughs> I think that's something we should look forward to uh, or demand really of our filmmakers, or especially our contemporary filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I had such a great time for all of his new sequences whatever outfit he was going to come out in. It was much more exciting than just one single getup throughout an entire film. I, I also liked uh, his, his Oshkosh Bagosh overalls when he, uh, when he Great. got, got uh, went to the police interview. I was like, you look like a nine-year-old. <laughs> yes. And over, over a red shirt, which is especially childish. <laughs> he literally looks like he should be like sitting in a giant rocking chair reading a storybook. <laughs> oh, that would, that would be so great. We need, oh, where were you during the notes session on this, Gina? You were <laughs> plussing this up huge. I would I would have loved a Friday the 13th sequel in which Jason really let his, like, regular face fly just with the sort of classic glasses and mustache disguise. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to combine Terror Train with Friday the 13th. Yes. Oh, yeah, there you go. It's the perfect mashup. We never got him really on a train. We, we know that Jason yeah, everyone's can... obsessed with Jason in the snow. Let's, you know, yeah. get him on a moving vehicle. Listen, tired Jason in the but snow. But isn't in space. Wired Jason on a train. Let's make this happen. So, yeah, the only thing I have to add in terms of the ending of this movie on top of, of Grauman's May or slash man's Chinese theater is that after uh, Eric is gunned down for the third time, he does this wonderful practical stunt off the facade obviously into an unseen airbag but the person who did that stunt really over rotated because by the time he's reaching that airbag he's really vertical his feet are pointed down you cannot hit an airbag with your feet that is a good way to break your legs or just straight up die you have to hit that with your back. I really want to know if that person is okay because that looked like a very hairy stunt that somehow they only had one camera filming and it wasn't, they decided not to go with slow motion. <laughs> the slow motion is an after effect and where they just slow down the frames. It's like, oh, when you have a physical stunt, you want more than one camera on that bad boy. What was happening there? Just cut away or something. I think these are burning questions that you should submit to Vinegar Syndrome for the Blu-ray. <laughs> all to be answered in special features. All right. Question number one. Why can't I get an Angel 3-pack? You always promised it. <laughs> didn't happen. Didn't get one. Two, fade to black. What's happening with that stunt guy, Vinegar Syndrome? Hit me up. Um, I, I well, I Will they know? I mean, you have it on Shutter. Shouldn't you know? Isn't that the point? You program something 
and then you know everything about it. It is. I when they deliver the movie, it's sort of you download it a bit <laughs> like uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Sure. Yeah. And, and and then you can talk to that intelligent dolphin, and we can get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. I love this. Yeah. Johnny Mnemonic. Dolphin of programming. That's what they call it. Put it on a business card. And so that just about does it. Um, of course, uh, unless either of you have anything else you wish to share about 1980s Fade to Black. I like it. I mean, I, I do. It, it, it's it's weirdly funny mm-hmm. in a way I, I can't articulate, but I but I also don't think is is unintentional. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's trying to be a little weird and silly, but also very creepy at the same time. Uh, I don't think it's particularly memorable as far as its actual kills are concerned, but I think he's a pretty memorable character, mm-hmm. and I would be interested in how much people uncomfortably see themselves in him or, or see the potential for becoming somewhat like him. Yeah, I can totally see that. I, I he is, It is a fascinating, fascinating film, and I think it's fun to watch. I think the characters are super fa- just really interesting and deep. Like, there's a lot going on here. They are swinging for the fences, and that's what I like from a movie. I like a movie that tries, and this movie, baby, is trying. I completely agree. I really, really enjoyed revisiting this film. It, it felt a lot like watching it for the first time. I, I think it has this cross-section or this like meeting of kooky energy and comedy and horror that makes it all the weirder or the, all the more chilling. Like the Hopalon Cassidy scene for me is a perfect ver- version of this where he, he's in the smoke, coming out, doing the impression. And you, you find it immediately ridiculous. And then once he's more clearly into view and he's wearing that really sort of deranged mask, it becomes upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's some of my favorite types of feeling in horror. I think the style of the movie, especially in its second half as Eric starts to break, also gets a lot more interesting. There's like dissolves from his face into Marilyn's. There's a lot more high style. Uh, I, obviously, you mentioned the big slow-mo stunt. I think the movie is very cool, very interesting. And it's iconography, which I think we were all used to, you know, especially that image of half his face painted mm-hmm. sort of betrays that there's this whole other movie going on. It reminds me of when a stranger calls where so, so much of what people think of is those, those opening minutes, the famous sequence. And then you rewatch it and remember there's this whole Poli- other rest of an interesting film here. Right. There's a whole police procedural yet to go for the vast yeah. majority of the movie. <laughs> Which is which is in its own way kind of chilling. I recently rewatched When a Stranger Calls and, and found it to be kind of weird and upsetting in the same way. I, um, I, I think it's cool. I think it's a really cool movie. As much as I, I do like that first one, I think I like the sequel better. I think When a Stranger Calls Back is even weirder. Uh, is, you got to go with what you feel. I know. Well, you know what? The good news is it's a buffet, baby. Everyone gets what they like. If you like crab legs good, I'm going for that London broil. Um, and, it's not either or. <laughs> and so uh, we reached the point in the podcast where we play America's favorite game show that they don't know about yet. Choose your own death venture. And that is where we design of the deaths presented in this movie. If you had to die that way, which one would you choose and why? Now, up for bid in this motion picture, we have cascading down the stairs in a malfunctioning uh, electric uh, wheelchair. We have uh, running from a Dracula and falling on a fence post with your neck. 
getting shot to death in an alley. Uh, you can also be frightened to death by a mummy in your own film warehouse. And then, of course, you could be shot on top of Grauman's Chinese Theater and fall to your death. So, Sam, as our guest, I am asking you for your choice first. Uh, well, the most likely choice is for me to be murdered in a barber's chair since I get oh, my hair cut very frequently. <laughs> um <laughs> while opening Gucci shoes. But my most preferable would probably be to be frightened to death by a classic monster. I think what what a way to go. True. I, I think that honestly, if you die that way, the headlines and variety would be fantastic. It, it would probably be the best press shutter ever gets. So I gotta if, sacrifice myself for the brand. So you might want to consider that. If if you really love this job and you really love this network, like you may have to die of a heart attack in a film warehouse that's very wet. Do I wait? Because I feel like if it happens right after this, it's more for you guys than it is for Shutter. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you your business. Obviously, the business card idea was <laughs> way off base. So, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just like, put it out there. Don't give us a specific time frame on your own time. But, you know, with AMC Plus coming up as a launch point, you know, you may want to consider it. Fair. Uh, Gina, what say you? Like, I don't know the answer to this. I was going to say, I mean, you know, you know, four <laughs> years you've been doing this, Patrick. Come on. Ride or die. And I'm riding on that wheelchair and I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know it would, it would be agonizingly awful. And I usually tend to 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 pick the quick deaths. But I, yeah, I, I got to stay on brand here and go with the wheelchair death. Yeah, uh, you just. Gina, I have a question. Are you going to try and pull off a grind? <laughs> While the chair is going down Absolutely. the stairs, so I, I, if I can get the General Lee horn to go off while I'm walking <laughs> the stairs, I, I, I will ascend to heaven with a smile on my face. I mean, if you hit the bottom just right, you could probably hit a 720 off of that. I mean, that would be really cool. <laughs> the teens would love it. <laughs> I hope someone's filming it. I hope it ends up on the TikTok. Well, there Strictly for the TikTok. It is worth noting that in that scene, Right before he pushes her, like there's this there's this great classical score, this great sort of kiss of death thriller score, and then a guitar comes in, and I I I flip. <laughs> the second you start hearing the riffs before he pushes her down the stairs, a, a great moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, there there are some good ones. I think if I'm gonna really go out, I think it's running in high heels and falling into a fence post because I am clumsy. And that is probably how I am going to die. Last December, I fell off of a sidewalk with my hands in my my trench coat and I fell straight on my face. So, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility this that this would happen. And I'm terrible in heels, Gina. <laughs> it's clomp, clomp, clomp. Ugh, I'm not graceful. I don't know what my mom was thinking, but she wanted me to be a classy lady. And well, sometimes <laughs> I just fail at it. Uh, so that pretty much does it. Uh, but before we go, Sam, um, of course, mm -hmm. we're coming. Now we're in the middle of the 61 days of Halloween, but we're really, this comes out this coming Friday. So what can we expect in October from Shudder that's really going to bring all the boys to the yard? We are going big on milkshakes. Um, <laughs> it's a very exciting October on Shudder. Actually, I'm very, very proud of it. Um, we have... 
five Shutter originals, one a week, including Scare Me, which has just premiered in uh, in the world where this is airing on October first, which is an incredible horror comedy by Josh Rubin about two strangers who stay up all night telling each other scary stories in a cabin. Uh, we also got an exorcism movie called The Cleansing Hour, a great anthology called The Mortuary Collection, uh, an incredible haunted house movie from Spain called 32 Malasanya, and uh, a new school Indonesian demonic possession movie that is a sequel, uh, May the Devil Take You Too. You may have seen May the Devil Take You on Netflix. Timo Jajanto made a sequel. Oh. Uh, but you can you can roll right over to Shudder and watch it and catch up. Oh. We also have three Halloween specials. Uh, we have the Creep Show animated special. We have Joe Bob's Halloween Hideaway, and then just announced we are bringing the Boulay Brothers Dragula to Shudder, which we're really really stoked about. Uh, they're doing a one-off special called Resurrection. Oh, uh, that's an. Then we got the Vincent Price collection. Uh, we have a surprise uh, new Gulag, <laughs> a new streaming Jack O' Lantern for everyone. It's going to be a good month, a really good month. We had to go big. I, I'm all about it. Um, Gina and I are both pretty much uh, from the go shutter subscribers. Um, I, and I thank you really loved having this in my life. I feel it has always been worth the money. I always find something fantastic to watch. I think the, and I'm not just blowing up your skirt. Like it is a really great selection of new old, uh, foreign, domestic like i feel like there's a lot of great stuff that comes through shutter and you're really trying to do the most for the audience that would want that service it's fantastic thank you i i appreciate that and i very much hope that that's what comes across like the the idea has always been to be to showcase like the breadth and depth of the genre it can't only be one thing within the genre because the genre is so many different things mm -hmm. so uh, I always want people to find something they love. And at the end of the day, if they watch something they didn't like, I want them to at least go, I get why it's there. Particularly with the, the foreign films that you're bringing in there, I think you're finding uh, an interesting quality uh, and voices that aren't always presented in mainstream cinema. And that's so important. Thank you. Absolutely. That's the hope. So I appreciate those words. They're very, very kind. All right, uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I am a writer over at the school. I will be covering the um, Nightstream Horror Film Festival. Uh, that should probably be going live, I think, about two weeks after this airs. Um, I also, uh, I'm on Twitter under porcelain seven two. Do it today. People check it out. We are on Twitter at kill by kill pod. We have a Facebook group. We have, uh, Instagram. We're on Letterboxd now. So you can keep track of all the films that we've covered along the way and see the bullpen of films we are considering covering in the future and see which of those you like and which you don't. And you can tell us all about it. And that, and of course, rate and review us on, on iTunes or every, anywhere that you actually get the podcast. That is something that helps us be seen and heard by more people. And we appreciate every single one of you. And that pretty much does it. Uh, of course, the body count will continue. The next time we talk, it is dish by dish. The next episode of Hannibal. And then after that, we will be talking 1996's Scream, the Wes Craven classic. We're going to try to give it the kill by kill treatment. And that's going to be super interesting to see if that pulls off. I mean, Scream, it's no Mikey. <laughs> Are you bringing Mikey to shut it anytime soon? Uh, because the kids love Mikey, apparently. Is that a special request for you? Anything. <laughs>
I, I did not know this was a suggestion from a listener. We watched it. We talked about it. It is uh, blown away this year's <laughs> download records. So uh, I don't know what it is about Mikey, but the kids are into Mikey. Shutter, get on on this action. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, but that just about does it. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Gina. And of course, uh, for them and for myself, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.